Marvin Gaye went from a church singer to one of Motown's greatest ever musical acts. But a crippling cocaine addiction spiraled into paranoia, and one day shy of his 45th birthday, he would be murdered by his father. That's today on Death in Entertainment. Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. Ah! What do you call this thing anyway? Death in entertainment. Hello, Deddo. We are in Spooktober here, guys. Hey, well into the month of Spooktober. What's going on, everybody? I'm really trying to make Spooktober work. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in now. It sounds like something like a car dealership special or something. <laughs> Come on down to the auto mile. It's Spooktober, baby. <laughs> These prices are scary low. Get this Sonata with the fucking ghost on it. <laughs> They're getting slashed. And then you're going to get slashed. Ooh. <laughs> What's up, everybody? My name's Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairn. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. Ooh, and we have a doozy for you guys today. Mr. Marvin Gaye is our subject. Oh, big one. This is a big one. This is a huge one. Great performer, artist, some of the best songs ever recorded, in my opinion. Absolutely. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know about this man uh, in his life and career, so there's some twists, some turns, some laughs, some cries. Right off the bat, yet we have to like say, this is different. Then um, the other, there's like a lot of musicians from the 60s that died yeah. in weird murder situations. Mm-hmm. There was Marvin Gaye, and then the other one that who, Sam Cook, Sam Cook, who died. Yep. Um, that'll be another episode. Yep. And then I thought there was one more, a big singer that died in the 60s. In the 60s? Yeah. Well, Marvin, Marvin Gaye. Gaye. I think it's Marvin Gaye. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> no, of. No, he did not die in the 60s. Oh, he, really? Do you know when he died? He died on. And this episode is taking us to April 1st, 1984. Here we go. Spooktober. April 1st, 1984. We got the pop culture flash for everybody. Mark, can you tell us what movies were doing well? Uh, Well, what was the top three at this time? Number three was Splash. Which I have vivid memories of because I thought it was a great movie. Tom Hanks vehicle, yeah, and bathtub uh, vehicle, and Ron Howard uh, vehicle. Oh yeah, it was yeah, their by. both of their first big hit. I think it was Brian Grazer's first script or something. I think Brian Grazer and Ron Howard worked on it together. Uh, what did yeah. Brian Grazer do besides that? He just produced all this. He did like Arrested Development, you know, oh. all Ron Howard's movies, basically. exactly. Yeah, because Ron Howard. He's done so many huge movies yeah. since the 80s. Apollo 13. Parenthood with Joaquin Phoenix. Of course. Ooh. By I the way, forget. I forgot to mention yeah. that. Did you know that he wasn't going by Joaquin at first? No, what was it? In Parenthood, he's credited as Leaf Phoenix. Leaf. That's such a River, weird... Leaf, Rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then he he, he didn't want to be it. confused with Leif Garrett, probably, who was like, by that time, you know, down and out on drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wanted a more normal name. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so he's like Joaquin. These hippie names that are just like, you know, you're just walking through the woods. Uh, uh, you're you just, know, pine cone. You're just Joaquin <laughs> yeah, through yeah, the woods. Yeah. You're pine cone. <laughs> yeah, you're acorn. <laughs> and he was a big fan of that actor, Christopher Joaquin. Hello. Nice. Here we go. Number two, April 1st, 1984. Number two movie is Romancing the Stone. Ooh. Michael Douglas, Danny DeVito. Catherine Turner. Kathleen Turner. What'd I say? Catherine. Okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Robert Zemeckis. We got the Kathleen Turner police here. We do. Robert Zemeckis <laughs> before Forrest Gump. Ooh. Yeah. Some people would call that a mess of a movie. I like it. Ten years before. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. before. But didn't Zemeckis also do um, one of the Indiana Jones movies also, I think? No. Okay. You're thinking of Back to the Future. That's, That's probably what, what I'm thinking of. Okay. And he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. Yeah. And is... maybe his best, Goonies? Death Becomes Her. Oh, Ooh, okay. that's a good one. I thought you were going to say Goonies. Maybe not his best, but it is very good. It's fun. Number one, one of my favorites, Police Academy. Michael Winslow in the house. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that's, a, that's just noises you're making. You're just blowing noises out of your mouth. He was such a big. Michael Winslow was so huge in the '80s that they invited him to present at the Oscars. So he just goes out on stage and goes, <laughs> and the audience is like, ah. Everyone loved him for those noises and shit. Yeah. You do that, and people in the theater would go nuts. Yeah, that's what he does for his stand-up act too. Oh, really? He so he was travels. a stand-up before. No. Oh, okay. It's very... He did it because he ran out of movie roles and yeah, ran I out think, of money. Yeah. He, he goes to different comedy clubs a few times a year and just goes... Yeah. <laughs> Not going to lie. I would go see that. Yeah. I've seen it. Okay. You've seen some weird stuff. Kind of fun. I, I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen... Um... Victoria Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. Victoria that, Jackson. That, yeah, that's... <laughs> So when Kyle went to see Michael Winslow, he's the guy in the front row going, do beep boo Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like his free bird. It's screaming, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever version of that is. But uh, yeah, Please Academy. Steve Gutenberg, you know, great, great movie franchise the in goot. my opinion. Yeah. The Goots. <laughs> Should we go to the music? We shall. Number three, Somebody's Watching Me. Michael Jackson. Rock, no, Rockwell. Everyone thinks that's Michael Jackson. Featuring Michael Jackson. That is him. Oh, on, it is? On the hook. Okay, yeah. he's singing the hook. Yes. Somebody's watching me. Rockwell was like was like uh, the Barry Gordy's son, right? That was, uh, yeah. Is that the, true? Yeah, that's true. Because he comes up a lot in this episode. Well, he, yeah, th- he renamed himself, obviously, but that he, he's a nepotism baby. Wow. And you know what else annoys me about this song? What? It's kind of like the Rob Thomas Santana song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fucking Michael Jackson is doing all the heavy lifting. Yeah. And Rockwell took all the credit. I bet you Michael Jackson's got a bunch of points on it because Quincy Jones probably produced it. And he's like, you know, Michael, you know, I'll owe you a bunch of stuff. And he he's already made his career with Thriller at that time. Made him oh, like yeah. a billion dollars. So what does Michael Jackson care? So what? You should just do hits for other people? Oh, I don't need more money. He might have recorded it before Thriller. Well, actually, no. Did Thriller come out in 81? 82. 82. Okay, yeah. So it's not like he recorded this song before Thriller. So yeah, it is yeah. weird that he would just do a hook after that. Yeah. But for Barry Goody. Who? Barry Goody? 
or Barry, Barry Gordy. Gordy. Barry Gordy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no relation to Sam but Goody. For, but, yes, for, Sam but for Goody Gordy. <laughs> no Goody. We are off to a wild I know. Start. We're all yeah. over the place here. Let's rein it in here. Okay, number two. This song is fantastic. Against all odds. Parentheses. Take a look at me now. Phil Collins. Oh, yes. great song. Wasn't that about a guy that uh, died drowning that he knew when he was a kid or something? In the air tonight. Oh, that's a different one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do, 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 do. <laughs> no, this yeah. is just a power ballad from Phil yeah. Collins. Pre-Tarzan. Pre-Tarzan. <laughs> that's how his life goes. Everything was either pre-Tarzan or post-Tarzan. Yeah. yeah. That's pre-Tarzan, <laughs> mate. Things were different. I had one piece of hair on my head. Oh, y'all want to hear number one? Yes, please. Footloose, Kenny fucking Loggins. Loose, footloose. No one knows anything after that. No. i never seen it. Don't like the song. I got nothing to say about it. Wow. I'm surprised you haven't seen it. Jeez, oh, really? Yeah, that seems like a movie I would like. Yeah. Okay. That you watch every night. Uh-huh. <laughs> Alejandro, I've never seen him react like this. No, not at all. <laughs> He's unhinged. Alejandro strikes me as a person <laughs> who would just watch movies that everybody knows. Why? Because I want to be You're a like film buff. everybody else. But yeah. not just, you're saying just the mainstream stuff? Like No, the, uh, he watches okay. everything. Oh. So I'm surprised it's not in your catalog. Yeah, you're right. I remember when I was in my first film class in Milwaukee, <laughs> Footloose was the first movie we screened. Yeah, it's just like uh, Major League for his class. Major League 2. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy Jason, yeah, from... <laughs> From uh, Medford. Or Jason the fuckhead. Yeah. Or your other class where the teacher said, Anne Heck. And Heck. And oh, Heck. God. Good that... friend, Anne Heck. Yeah. And David Mamey. Yeah, I have another professor. Mame. Yeah, so I, I went to very, obviously, bad schools where, where the professors didn't <laughs> even know program. how to talk or say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, anyway, let's get back on track. Let's here. do it. Let's actually get into the episode. Okay. Let's get it on. Ooh. Nice. All right, this episode is going to open up. It starts April 2nd, 1939, quite a while ago. Uh, Marvin Pence was his middle name. Marvin Pence Gay Jr. is born in Washington, D.C., to parents Marvin Sr. and Alberta Gay. I wonder if he's related to Mike Pence at all. No, it's P-E-N-T-Z. Oh, thank God. Yeah. That was quite the fake out you did. What? You were like, Marvin Pence. Yeah. So we're supposed to go, oh, was he born Pence? Is he? (laughs) (laughs) The band Six Pence, None the the Richer, richer was based off of him. Marvin Pence, None the Richer, None the Debtor. Six pence, gay, none the richer. <laughs> he was actually born, his last name, uh, although it was spelled when he was famous, G-A-Y-E, it was actually G-A-Y. Wow, he must have got a ton of shit for that. He changed it because growing up, everyone was like, gay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what is that going to change? It's still pronounced gay. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's going to work with the bullies. It There's an E. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're sorry. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is pretty ridiculous. Marsha Gay Harden, she stuck with that. You know, she didn't change the gay G A Y E. She didn't give a shit what people thought yeah. about her. <laughs> These are two very comparable artists. Yeah. Marsha Gay Harden and Marvin yeah, Gaye. <laughs> Marvin Gay Harden. His dad. <laughs> <laughs> Sixpence none the Marvin Gay. <laughs> <laughs> We we got some title ideas here already. Yeah. yeah. Uh so his dad is immediately on the shit list. Super abusive guy. He was a preacher and Marvin began singing at his dad's church when he was 3 years old. That's young to be singing. Super you young. You barely talk at 3. It's yeah, yeah, it's young to be walking. <laughs> yeah. Goo <Goo-goo> goo gaga. <laughs> his dad total piece of crap on the shit list was super abusive, but people born before the 60s, I feel like they just call that strict. Yeah. Oh, I was strict. My daddy like, was strict. He used to beat the shit out yeah. of me with a belt. He's old school. Yeah, everything old school means like they, they beat you within an inch of your life. Yeah, exactly. That's old school. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's attempted murder. Yeah. He's a good Christian. <laughs> and we cannot get away from these bad dads. Bad yeah. dads. We got Anne Hayes. Yeah. We got Herbert. DJ, DJ AM. DJ AM, yep. We got fucking Ham. Yeah. Charles Rockets. Piece of shit dad. Yeah. Yep. God almighty. Lots of them out there. I'm sure Ed Gein had a bad dad. He was actually okay. okay. <laughs> his, his, mom, mind. his mother. Augusta the was the yeah. bad one. The Bible humper. <laughs> and here we go. We got a preacher. Uh, he's a very self-conscious. His dad, Marvin Gaye Sr. He was super self-conscious about the stigma of preacher's kids being like nightmares and running around the church and annoying people and just being like spoiled. Yeah, being like prima donna, spoiled. and Yeah, yeah so instead of his kids being nightmares to everybody else, he was just a nightmare to them oh and just God. beat the shit out of his kids. So he was a nightmare as a kid, probably, because he was his dad was probably a preacher also. So he's like, I'm going to end this now. And uh... It's possible. But what's also weird is that, you know, preachers are looked up to. They're like a leader in the community, I guess. Someone that like people go to, look up to. A pillar. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Marvin Gaye's father was a cross-dresser and everybody knew it. What? Yeah. Which is weird because, like, especially in that time, that kind of takes a lot of your power away because people could just throw that in your face. Yeah. And people did to Marvin Gaye uh, Jr. That's got to be so hard to deal with as yeah. a little kid. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he said later in life, he said, my father likes to wear women's clothing. As you well know, that doesn't mean he's homosexual. In fact, my father was always known as a ladies' man. He simply- <laughs> <What>? Anyway. <laughs> He simply likes to dress up. What he does in private, I really don't know, nor do I care to know. Jeez. By the way, I would like to clarify. Ain't nothing wrong with wearing women's clothing if no. you're a guy. Hey. I'm just saying the strict disciplinarian preacher persona to deal with that. Yeah. Plus the contradiction of him cross-dressing and then getting made fun of for being a contradiction well, by the other kids. He's dealing yeah. with his own stuff, and he's like... If I beat my kid in submission and really, you know, treat him harshly, then he won't be like me. You know, that maybe I, I'm guessing that Mar- Mr. Uh, Marvin Gay Sr. or whatever, his dad thought he had too loose of a, uh, you know, upbringing. And that's what led him down the path, which he think is negative, which is wearing the dresses and stuff. And so maybe his idea is if I treat my son like an asshole, maybe it'll whip him in the shape and not, you know, follow the path I did. Yeah. There was tons of shame and guilt in that house. Yeah. 
Marvin Jr. just couldn't escape it in the streets. He said, uh, I wanted to beat the shit out of the guys when they teased me about my father. I wanted to smash their faces and cut their throats, but I was afraid. I suppose I was afraid that I was just like him, that I was too much of a woman to fight back. Instead of taking my blows like a man, I ran. My main memories have to do with running, and believe me, I was fast. I loved sports, and I always felt like I had great athletic ability. Run, Marvin, run. Run. <laughs> um, he said he was great at football, basketball, you name it, but I was scared of confrontation, so I backed off. So he's smart. Uh, yeah. But I would you, say so. Run away. Like, why engage? Yeah. What, is he going to beat up the entire town? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, he probably seemed, like, very outnumbered. Well, he had no brothers or anything. or like He any... did. He had a brother. Oh, yeah. he did. Okay. Yeah. We'll get into him later. It's oh, boy. hilarious. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's disturbing. <laughs> no, it is uh, it is disturbing and hilarious at the same time, like this podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Death and entertainment. Yeah. So by 1956, uh, Marvin is 17 years old. He dropped out of high school. He's like, dude, it's not for me. He left home and he joined the Air Force. He just needed to get away from his house. Like He's like, my dad is like a dictator. I need to get away. So let's go to the military where I get screamed at again every day. <laughs> That's the American way. Yeah, have a horrible upbringing. And then why don't I go in the military and, yeah. and see how this works out? He wanted to go. He was ter- <laughs> He's a walking contradiction, too, because he wanted to become a pilot, but he was terrified of flying. Very that is thing. a huge contradiction yeah. right there. So that's originally why he went into the Air Force, and within a year, he realized that the military was not for him. He didn't like getting yelled at. He didn't like taking orders. But even more than that, he felt like he was taken advantage of because he didn't learn how to fly at all, and he realized he was sitting in the middle of Kansas on a base somewhere, like, peeling potatoes. Well, that's what the Army tells you. You know, you're going to—those recruiters are especially the biggest liars in the fucking world. Oh, so you're like, bad. yeah, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be in space in, like, a year. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, you're cleaning toilets, and then you're in Vietnam, you know, uh, two months later. Oof. Yeah. At that time, too, you got the Korean War and the Vietnam War. Yeah. This is the 50s? Uh, 57 at this point, yeah. Yeah. And so he just felt so taken advantage of. He was pissed. He's like, I got to get out of here. I have a four-year commitment. So what do you have left to do at that point other than start acting crazy on purpose to get kicked out? (laughs) See, I'm telling you, he's smart. Yeah, very smart. He's avoiding all this conflict. It's great. But he goes for the conflict finally on this, and he's just like, (laughs) like literally saying his brain is like betraying him. He's going crazy out of his mind. Like he, he needs to leave. Um, and the, I can't imagine what the authorities on base treated him like. Oh, probably hard. They probably knew about the cross dressing. Yeah. He got his name. You're saying like the, the commanders they, and stuff. Yeah, they probably are, were awful to him. Yeah. Boot camp and the, going into the military onto itself is rough. Yeah. It's, it's really hard on thing. people. Yeah. They, they break you down just to build you back up in their mold and they brainwash you. Yeah. That is what the military is. Gay, I bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Yeah. It's probably like <laughs> Gomer, uh, with that guy from Full Metal Jacket. Pile. Vince yeah. D'Onofrio. Yeah. So he's 18 years old. He's given an honorable discharge by the Air Force because he just wouldn't let up about how crazy he was. But he got lucky then. Very lucky. Honorable was uh, very... But if you get dishonorable, that follows you around for the rest of your life. Forever, You can't get, like, mortgages with that shit. No. They ask about that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They wrote the reason for his honorable discharge. Marvin Gaye doesn't answer to regimentation and authority. 
How does that become an honorable discharge? <laughs> Sounds pretty saying. cool to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does not listen to us. Yeah. Honorable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're smart. We're gonna start. We're gonna go into Vietnam in a couple years, and that's a smart idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'd kind of rather have a career, you know, right. and record some music. Yeah. I don't feel like dying. Yeah. So that's what he did. He um, as soon as he got out of the military, he was like. You know, trying to get his foot in the door with music. He met this um, blues rocker by the name of Bo Diddley. Bo Diddley? Bo Diddley. Bo Diddley one time came to Framingham, Massachusetts. Shut up. This is like in the uh, early 2000s. He was still touring. He was like 100 years old. Wow. And he played uh, the main, like, football stadium there. Yeah. Yeah, that's Bo Diddley. This is Bo Diddley. Yeah. Yeah. He's like one of the pillars of rock and roll. This is like the basis for rock music. Basically, yeah. Him and Chuck Berry. And, li- and Little Richard, too. Little Richard, Little Richard yeah. yeah. Gotta give credit where Just credit ask him. Clearly. Little Richard will scream it at you that he started <laughs> rock and roll. They stole my shit! <laughs> <laughs> I remember Little Richard on Blossom one time. It's one of the funniest episodes. Oh, my God. (laughs) What show or movie wasn't he on? He was on ALF, too. In in the 80s. (laughs) I swear to God. Yeah. No, I know. I believe you. He was in Down and Out in Beverly Hills as one of the neighbors. He was big in the 80s. I don't know why we just went on a fun Little Richard (laughs) tangent there. We should be ranting about Bo Diddley. Yeah. Yeah. Bo Diddley, he, um, he really took Marvin under his wing and, uh, when Marvin got out of the military, he was like his assistant. And then he realized... It was like a mentorship, like an old school mentorship. Yeah. Like you don't see anymore these days. Right. And he realized that, oh, damn, Marvin can sing. He can play the drums. He's really good at you know the piano. He's, he's mul- a multi-hyphenate. As long as he doesn't get too big to outshine me, he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wouldn't take much if you're Marvin Gaye sitting next to Bo Diddley. Yeah. Well, like the guitar is cool and stuff, but you got, you got fucking Marvin Gaye over here. Well, yeah. he's looking. He's actually looking out for him, so he helped him get a record deal, and he helped Marvin Gaye join the Marquees. So he was uh, in a group immediately at age 19. Like the big band or something? Like a marquee? Like... No, the Marquees was like a f- quartet, I think. Oh, like his side group, the Bo Diddley and the Marquees or something? Uh, no, I think the Marquees were like their own thing. Oh, okay. Just a band he knew. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. So he put them together with them and then like, why don't you tour with these guys? Yeah. Bo Diddley, actually, this is a weird, it makes me really kind of not like Ed Sullivan. Bo Diddley, he made like a huge splash on the Ed Sullivan show in 1955 and had this killer set, played Bo Diddley, and was immediately banned for life from the show. Why? The song of the same name. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So in 1955, he appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. He was asked to perform the song 16 Tons. We got a great shoe today. Great shoe. (laughs) He agreed to sing that song and perform that song with his band. But when they got on stage, they saw the cue cards, and at the t- very top of the cue card said Bo Diddley. That was obviously his name, yeah. but it was also the name of his number one hit. So the band was like, oh shit, we got to switch it up, and they played Bo Diddley instead of 16 Tons. Ah. And Ed Sullivan was so furious that they made the last second change, he thought he was like messing with him. 
They played Radio Radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep reference for some SNL yeah. fans during the, the late 70s or early 80s. And then it said something about the Pope on there, so they... Yeah, they, <laughs> they ripped it up. <laughs> and, and then they, it's like, no, it's not what I meant. Then they forgot all the lyrics, and they just started, uh, yeah, because the uh, machine stopped. <laughs> they started doing an Irish jig, like a- Ashley Simpson. Yeah. Yep. It said R.I.P. Pope. We're talking about the old Pope. We're just honoring him. <laughs> Go ahead, Kyle. Now I'm doing Seinfeld, yeah. Ed Sullivan (laughs) was so furious that he did not listen to his instructions that he was never asked to return. But that performance was so iconic that it immediately made Bo an international sensation. Wow. But at least they aired it. Yeah. Might have been live. It might have been live. It usually was. Yeah, because I remember the doors went on there and they said uh, they weren't supposed to say the word higher. Baby, I can tell you, huh? but Jim Morrison said it and like accentuated it. Look at the camera, like, <laughs> like, like "fuck you, Ed <laughs> Sullivan, you asshole." So the actual song Bo Diddley spent eighteen weeks at the top of the charts, two weeks at number one, and forever and irreversibly introduced the world to Bo Diddley. Great artist, great man. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> he's bigger than Ed Sullivan right after that. And Ed's like, you're never getting back on my shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not coming on my shoe anymore. My shoe. Ed yeah. Sullivan. And he introduced America to the Beatles. Yeah. Let's not forget that. Yeah. But, well, I mean. He, he never let you forget that. Either. Yeah. He just happened to be some guy that was working at ABC. That's why he <laughs> did it. <laughs> if it was some other person there, you know, yeah. they would have introduced. Exactly. America, yeah. Um, Could have so, been Leno. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, we got these, uh, these British okay, guys. We got here. Ringo. Kevin, <laughs> you see these guys, Kevin? We got George Harrison. Hey, <laughs> hey what happened to Pete Best? Hey, you know, what do you guys do with? <laughs> hey, Kevin, you'd look good with that kind of hair, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there was a man named Harvey Fuqua who was an executive. He took the marquees and made them the new members of the Moon Glows, which mm. was another quartet. So they pretty much, it's like, just a brand name. They just were like the same group, but we're just going to call you the Moon Glows now. Okay. They did that back in the day. Yeah. They would just change names of groups or fire everybody, get new people in. Yeah. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters. It's like a different roster, but it's the same brand. It's like right. Menudo. You yeah. Just, it's just a rotating <laughs> group of people that are just doing these uh, songs. And their first song with Marvin Gaye at the helm uh, leading this song was Mama Lucci. And listen to these lyrics. Oh, I'm digging it so far. All right. My mama Lucci. She's a brand new coochie. Oh, boy. She's a brand new coochie? Wow. This is a family show. <laughs> they had some veiled codes and <laughs> yeah. you know, innuendos back in the day. That sounds like a great song to drive like an old Oldsmobile while you're on heroin in, in like yeah. 1950s Bronx or something. That's a song you listen to. It's what John Travolta is listening to yeah. while shooting up in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, after that song that they played, yeah, is, is that If song. the scene went on longer. It went on longer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a big breakup of the Moonglows right after this because in Chicago there was a giant marijuana bus by the police and but some Stuart the- Copeland and uh, Sting and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well we're really going for it today. Walking <laughs> on the moon, and there was probably one of those spinning newspapers <laughs> yeah. that said "Moon Glows Break Up," yeah. big bust, <laughs> <laughs> big uh, pot bust of uh, 1957, 58. 
This is 60 now. All right. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're moving <laughs> quick. Goodbye, 50s. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 60s. Hello, 1960s. Yeah. Goodbye, Mama Lucci, because the whole band breaks up, and 21-year-old Marvin goes straight to Detroit. Home of? He enters Motown Records' Hitsville, USA studios and yep. impresses all the Motown executives. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking of when you thought it was Barry Goody. <laughs> <laughs> He walks out, I'm looking for Barry Goody. He's like, well, you're not going to find You're going to keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> no, Goody Goody. Yeah, still never heard of him. It's getting worse, sir. <laughs> they think he's insane, like in the army. Yeah. They're like, you're already out of the army. Stop yeah. acting like you're nuts. Yeah. He got dishonor- honorably discharged from, uh, from Motown. Motown Records. Yeah. <laughs> for being cuckoo. So he impresses Barry Gordy Jr. He signs Marvin as a session musician. Okay. Which, if you don't know what that is, folks at home, that's when uh, you pretty much just sign up to play in the background behind the actual stars. Like, you're not going on tour with the band. You're not in the band. Yeah. You're on the recording. And you can't say you're in the band. Exactly. It's like, a, you know, you're low man on the totem pole there. You got to work your way up. Yeah. This is what Ty Longley was in... Jack Russell's Great White. (laughs) No, not even making a joke. They were session players. Yeah. So they weren't even part of the band. One. These are two very different sessions here. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Ah. (laughs) So even though he has the voice of an angel, he's immediately thrown in to play the drums for different bands and groups and stuff like the miracles and the marvelettes and mary wells <laughs> wow they, they were marvelous yeah the, the marvelettes yes uh because that year he actually plays the drums on the marvelettes and motown's first number one single oh yeah this is their first one wow this and is now- now we're in a Scorsese yeah, flick, yeah. you know? I always wanted to be a postman. <laughs> Robert De Niro's beating the shit out of somebody <laughs> yeah. while this is on the jukebox. There's uh, Joey the can opener, Ricky the, Ricky the rough house. Uh. Where's Tommy the screwdriver? <laughs> yeah. I got to talk to him. This is Marvin Gaye on the drums. A lot of, a lot of people it's don't a, know that. It's wild that he started out as a drummer. Yeah. Stevie Wonder did too. Yes, and he will come up very soon as well. It's either you're a guitarist or a drummer. Like, and obviously, guitar is a lot harder to master than drums. And yeah. dots are connecting. There's also Bob Crane. <laughs> yeah. Sex freak Bob Crane. Yeah, sex freak. <laughs> Some people don't like that title. <laughs> I put it in like a Facebook group of all fans of Bob Crane that are like earnestly fans of Bob Crane. They're like, we don't like that title, sex freak. <laughs> but what would they even be earnestly fans of? I don't know. What did he he did that <laughs> Nazi just, show? Yeah, may, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just the drumming, the dinner theater. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> the fucking <laughs> yeah, the sucking maybe. <laughs> I'm getting us way off track. Yeah, I believe I helped. Okay. Yeah. So things are popping off for him as a musician at this point, as a drummer, because right after this, please, Mister Postman is huge. Like I said, number one pop single. Motown's biggest hit at this point, 
puts Motown on the map. They have um, this whole Motown review, they called it, where they had all the Motown acts and did like a ton of publicity for it. So he was one of the people that was actually on it. So it was like the Corn Family Values Tour, but they did... Absolutely. <laughs> I just related to something that you'd react well to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we keep denigrating poor Motown. I know, I know. Yeah. These well, comparisons are getting more and more absurd. Yeah, and Bo Diddley was the Neil Young to Marvin Gaye's Pearl Jam. Wow! Yeah, so okay. that really that worked for me very well. That was a very good analogy. Ponder that. Yeah. Analogy <laughs> of the podcast right there. Yeah. Um, so Marvin <laughs> actually played drums on the live version of Stevie Wonder's first number one hit, Fingertips. Part two. Very superstitious? Yes. No, oh, no, Fingertips okay. part two. Yeah. And around the same time, his official debut as a singer comes out, The Soulful Moods of Marvin Gaye. I went back, I listened to it. It was big at the time. It was like, you know, put him on the map, but it's nowhere close to what to his where best stuff. Musically, yeah. yeah. Musically, it's like... You know, yeah, you can sit and kind of bob your head to it, but it's but he's got it's ba- not, he's ba- not Marvin Gaye. He's yet. got Barry Gordy and like the people at Hitchville, USA, which is not you know where you go to experiment. You know, you go out to L.A. and you smoke some weed yeah. and you get some weird, you know, crazy guys with you. Yeah, it's an assembly line. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the Ford plant across the street. Exactly. Yep. And good comparison. Second that, best analogy. That song <laughs> you were talking about, he sings on it. Um, he had a whole album that he sang. Oh, sang the, on. the yeah, whole yeah. album, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just sounded like you know any of the other Motown, yeah. early stuff, right? Yeah. Um, he immediately got to perform on American Bandstand, which is huge at that time. Yeah, that's like the biggest. That was like TRL. To- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to just speak Kyle's language. Oh, here. you're speaking it, baby. <laughs> that was like TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's now starting to score features with other people. He's got uh, The Supremes on one of his songs now. After this, he's got Mary Wells, a duet too for What's the Matter with You, Baby, and Some Once hot, Upon a hot Time. collabs going on. Yeah. Here. And so those two singles come out at the same time with Mary Wells, and they both immediately go to number two and number three on the charts. Wow. So he's just crushing. Two and number three on the charts at this time? Yeah. He's like fucking 70 million people buying your record or something. Yeah. It's crazy. I can't get over that he was even doing percussion on Postman. Right. I didn't even know he was on that song. I didn't know he was a drummer. But percussion on Postman, that's like the biggest song for like three months or for like a long time. Yeah. So that's still a pretty good thing. It no, I Mo- know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He was that much of a force yeah. in 60s pop music. He's playing he, drums he on song. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's like kind of Forrest Gump. He's like even in the background of like. <laughs> major... Back to Forrest Gump. <laughs> I know. I can't get away from it. I got to pay. <laughs> Sorry I broke up your Hitsville USA Motown. <laughs> <laughs> so he's working with the biggest names in Motown. He himself is one of the biggest names in Motown, just in music in general. Just giant. Bigger than life. Life can't be better. He marries his girlfriend of three years, Anna. Anna Gordy. Yeah. Daughter of Barry. I didn't realize that. You really didn't? No. You have no love for the kids of Barry Gordy. Why? No, I'm saying Kyle. Me. Oh. Yeah, because he didn't know that uh, Rockwell was his son. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 
So those are two kids you've totally deleted. Yeah. What do you care what his kids are? I don't follow legacy (laughs) nepotism. Nepotism. Yeah, they're nepotism babies. What's kind of relevant that he's marrying the daughter of the president of I also believe it's 100% relevant. Yeah, it is definitely relevant. And I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't go too deep. I didn't go deep at all into her backstory. (laughs) Not as deep as Marvin Gaye went. Hello, honk honk. (laughs) <laughs> he ain't, I, I, he I, ain't I, his last ooh. name. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Michael Winslow's in the house. All <laughs> right. We got we got this show that comes up, the TAMI Award Show. Literally, it's a fake award show. The Teen Age Music International Awards. And it's like it, the Cable Ace Awards or something. It literally was it's just... like a drug front or something? So they went to different high schools around Santa Monica <laughs> and... They just gave free tickets to everybody and were like, come to this show. So the lineup for this, the Beach Boys, Chuck Berry, James Brown, Marvin Gaye. To Murderer's Row here. Yeah. Uh, Murderer's Row. Yeah. Jerry and the Pacemakers. <laughs> Leslie wow. Gore. You're going to need a pacemaker after sitting through this crazy <laughs> we should, good we show. We should do a color commentary of this show being announced. <laughs> Smokey Robinson. <laughs> what? The Miracles. As Rolling if it wasn't Stones. smoking enough. <laughs> the Rolling Stones. Whoa. And, and the Supremes. And they're just in some auditorium in Santa Monica for a bunch of high school kids. Amazing. <laughs> so it's, it's just a front. It's like, oh, this is like the Teenage Music Awards. Like, they all got awards for being, like, you know, the favorite bands of the teens. It's like, yeah. no, you're forcing this on them. It's just an advertisement. Choose to sell new pop music to kids. Yeah. That's wow. a smart tactic, actually. They don't do stuff like that It's pretty smart. Anymore. I yeah. mean, they should have done it every year, but it was this was the only one. They were just so like, this is, right, the, we're good. this is the young Rolling Stone. This is before they even, like... Yeah. Before they really hit that lineup, though, is fucking. That's a better lineup than Woodstock. 69. Dude, seriously, <laughs> yeah. Did you know that Red Foo is Barry Gordy's kid? Shut up. Yeah, party rock anthem. LMFAO. How yeah. many kids did he have? And how many decades did this go on? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Speaking of sucking fucking through the yeah, look thirty at this. years. Rockwell, it's a who's who. Red yeah. Foo's a legacy nepotism wow. hire. He's like, uh, who's the guy that has all the kids now? Nick. Uh, Nick Cannon? Nick Cannon, yeah. Oh, my God. He has the communities of kids. I'm Nick Cannon's kid. (laughs) (laughs) Who is it? Step aside. We all are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the big audition line. I'm Nick Cannon's kid. We all are, buddy. (laughs) Get in line, loser. (laughs) But this is when Marvin Gaye starts becoming Marvin Gaye. Okay. Because he gets How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You released Going to number three immediately on the R&B charts and number six on the pop charts. It's his biggest hit to date. There's a song. Yeah. How sweet it is to be loved by you and you and you. Am I making that up? You might be. (laughs) (laughs) Him and his wife, Anna, adopt a baby boy named Marvin Pence Gay the Third. No, I just Googled her name, and she seems to go by Anna Gordy Gay. 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 I don't know what that is or like what group of men or people that are chanting that. They're just diehard fans of Anna Gordy Gray, though. <laughs> Before they go into like a hockey game or something. <laughs> At this point, he's in his late 20s, and he's just crushing life. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. He's got these chart-topping 
hits that are coming out. Things that gay as can be. Hello. Yeah. I'm assuming he must have like millions of dollars in the bank. He's got the wife. He's got the kid. He's got it all. Yeah. He hooks up with a woman by the name of Tammy Terrell for the first time on the hit single. You guys may have heard of it. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Bum, bum. Bum, bum, baby. Yeah. Ain't no mountain high. Ain't no valley low. Ain't no river wide enough, baby. We're taking you on an audio tour today. <laughs> oh, it's so classic. Are we so going to get good. copyright strikes for this? Of course. That's why we're talking over it. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna, We're gonna karaoke sound better, yeah. This shit. This is what they're playing when they do the My Life Massacre go. in uh, Vietnam. Ain't no mountain high enough. It's called Fair Use. Ain't no enough. Low enough. Ain't no wide enough. Deep me from to you, babe. Great job, everybody. Yeah. We we avoided that copyright strike like motherfuckers. Instead, we're just going to lose listeners. Yeah. Of course, yeah. We're just going to turn off our audience. And I'm impressed that she's actually getting all the credit, too. Like that album, it's Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Yeah. Because there were a lot of secret weapons in pop music, rock music in the 60s, 70s. You know, like on the Rolling Stones songs. Yeah. What's that? Uh, a shot away? Like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just a shot away. Yeah. Where they're, you know, 20 feet from stardom. They never really get the credit. Yeah. But Tammy Terrell's front and center. Well, yeah. in that Rolling Stone song, they actually get that girl to do that part. And they get her within you know, 10 minutes of uh, them starting to record it. Because mm. they had no one to sing that, uh, that very important part of that. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Their first debut album, United, goes crazy on the R&B charts. It goes all the way up to number seven. So he's got another top 10 album here. And it has four top 40 R&B singles. Wow. Off of one album. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Yeah, ain't no mountain high enough. That must have been on the charts forever. Yeah. Things are going great, but this is like a thing in his life where things can't be too good without something bad happening. Mm. So they're performing together at a concert at Hampton College in Virginia and right after singing Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Tammy collapsed on the stage, which is weird because we actually just found out about a Haitian singer that died on stage. Yeah, you could see on, I found it on TikTok. I was like, very harsh. Terrifying. In the way that he just like is going, you know, doing his song and dance, and then he's just walking in the back and he just collapses. Yeah. And people seem to know right away what's going on in the clip. Like immediately, yeah. they're like, holy shit. Yeah, well, not like Mark You hear the crowd immediately at the same time, just go, oh. We talked about those comedians that died on stage, yeah. and everyone thinks it's part of the show. And yeah. they're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it? Heather McDonald was like the last one that you sent us. Was that? Did you see it? that? Uh, she was at the improv in Brea. And oh, right. Was like, I got my COVID vaccine. And she's like, everyone's laughing, having a good time. And then she collapses and yeah. falls, fractured her skull. On stage. Oh my God. And people are laughing while she's literally just on the ground with a broken skull. There has to be like, a, you know, a safe word or something for <laughs> me. <laughs> if you start seeing blood gushing out of my eyes, yeah. maybe it's not a joke. Yeah. Uh, Tammy Terrell. So she gets carried off the stage and they're freaking out. They take her to the hospital. They find out she has a malignant brain tumor. Ugh. So we thought that guy was young at 41 years old when he passed away on stage. Uh, she was literally 24 years old when she died. Oh, my God. Just undiagnosed malignant brain tumor like that. Like, 
This is a time where no one's getting their physical checkups all the time. The CAT yeah. scan. You're, especially when you're 24. You're like, you know, yeah. nothing bad can happen to me. It. Yeah. yeah. It actually it happened to my friend, Dory. We were great friends in college, and I just remember she was complaining a lot about having headaches, and she went in and um, just asked her doctor, and they're like, oh, let's just take a scan to see what's going on, and they found a giant tumor, <laughs> and she was gone within a year. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. It's like one of the... Like glioblastoma, I think is what it's called. Like it's one of the quickest moving cancers you could possibly have, and so most people don't know they have it until it's like it's too late. Yeah, it would have been too late, too late, like months before anyway. Yeah, so. exactly. That's why you got to be grateful, people. Every you're feeling day, okay. Yeah, yes. Because some people ain't so lucky. Live yes. your life to hundred and ten percent, like Marvin Gaye. The impressive thing about Tammy Terrell is that she kept performing after this, after being diagnosed. She kept performing for a while, kept recording. It wasn't until Marvin and Tammy are recording their final album together, which is called Easy. It was just industry gossip that actually it wasn't Tammy singing on it. And she was being replaced by Valerie Simpson, who was singing all her parts, uh, Tammy Terrell's parts. Yeah, I heard the rumor that on the song, You're All I Need to Get By, which is another iconic song from theirs, that it was mainly Valerie Simpson. Yeah. Marvin's recording massive hits, but he's getting a lot of pushback from his father-in-law. Barry Gordy. Yeah. He recorded I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Might have heard of it. Huge song. Huge song. Barry Gordy, not a fan. He refused to release it. What are his notes? What's his feedback? Not going to be a hit. That's it. I think I know why. Why? Because... Because he's a hater. No, because it didn't sound like other Motown songs. It wasn't cheerful. It was a dark song, and it had a It's about certain... a guy hearing about his girl cheating on him. Yeah. I feel like Barry Gordy with uh, Hitchville USA Motown is trying to like keep all these artists in a box, and that was the problem Marvin Gaye had with that system, is that, you know, that, like Elvis at Sun Studios, you just can't keep these like master artists in these small boxes, yeah. like Kanye and Rockefeller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, how he, look how great he's doing now. <laughs> Mark is just speaking my language all episode. I love it. I love yeah. it. Look, look at Kanye now. He's, he can't do wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he's making a lot of sense these days. By the way, Valerie Simpson wrote Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Oh, wow. And You're All I Need to Get By. And a bunch of other stuff, like I'm Every Woman. Yeah, what a talented hit machine. Nice. We're not going to get copyright struck for that. No. (laughs) Was that the Shaka or the Whitney? I was doing the Whitney. Yeah. Shaka Khan. I was doing the Shaka. Shaka Khan. Obviously, I'm more of a Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. So Barry Gordy's like, it's not coming out. It's not coming out. They released it anyway. Became a smash hit. Begins a seven-week run at number one on the Billboard Pop Singles chart. And it's Marvin's first number one pop chart single. So take that, Barry Gordy Jr. You should be revering this person because he has created so much already. But Mm. then you're like, no, you're 100% wrong. And I bet you Marvin Gaye had some other producers or like the people behind Barry Gordy who were like, no, Marvin, you're right. Just don't listen to this fucking old schmuck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that song, like when you listen to it, it's a soul classic. You know, that's not up for debate, but... There's really no song like it. It's totally Marvin Gaye, his aesthetic. Yeah. And it's a great 
baseline. You hear it and you immediately get into it again. You know, it works. I just I remember this song. The first time I heard it was from the California Raisins. Yes, same. Yeah, same. You remember that? Probably me too. Yeah, I'm like, why? Why? Why am I a fan of the California Raisins? I was a big fan of the California Raisins. This fictional group. I love fictional groups in the '80s, like the Monkees. I love too. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you start getting the commercial song in yeah, your head. Yeah. Like, turn the beat around. <laughs> yeah. Talking about nutrition. <laughs> yeah. It was about margarine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, I really want some margarine. I'm like, so I don't know what I want it on. I want it on my raisin. <laughs> and also, Grapevine is the opening song in The Big Chill. Ooh. Yeah, which I hate that movie. I just, Do you really? It's up its own ass. It's like, of course yeah. it is. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But, <laughs> you know, I love it though. <laughs> yeah. Glenn close. Yeah. She lets her husband, you know, have sex to get yeah, her with pregnant. Meg then, Tilly or yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Kevin what, Klein. Yeah. What the yeah, Kevin? And Klein. they all like, like, oh, this was normal. This yeah. was fine. Don't even get Mark started on Kevin Klein. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll dismantle that guy right here on the podcast. He's a great actor. You've seen Wild Wild West. Yeah, he portrays yeah, multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. characters. He's and got gender, range, this and, guy, and genders yeah. in it. Yeah, he does horrible movies in the eighties and the nineties. He provides the noises <laughs> for the spider robot. <laughs> He's the Michael Winslow of that of the Wild Wild yeah. West. Yeah. Uh, so at this time, Marvin's next album, MPG, not miles per gallon, but Marvin Pence Gay. Oh, uh, it becomes his first number one album. So he just got his first number one song. Now we got his first number one album, but tragedy strikes when Tammy Terrell passes away after dealing with eight operations on her brain tumor. Oh, man. She died in Philadelphia at the age of 24. There's stories like that, like same thing with Bobby Darren when he got sick. Yeah. When they keep trying to perform while they're on like dialysis or in the wheelchair and they literally do it until they're in the grave. Yeah. Yeah. She's a badass for doing that. Yes. Like literally going on stage, recording in the booth. As much as she possibly could until she literally couldn't. And their chemistry, you can't duplicate that. Undeniable. She passes away. He goes to the funeral. He is so distraught. This is like when people noticed that like something was happening with him. He retired from music. I'll bite briefly. I'll be it. I'll bite. I don't know. I won't bite on that. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Because we feel bad. He retired from music and actually was like, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be a football player. And he scored. What? So he was <laughs> mentally well at this time. Yeah. yeah. This is like Jordan after his, his dad got killed. Hey, he scored a tryout with the Detroit Lions. Yeah, no, but-, but Jordan's already an athlete. No, I, I Marvin Gaye it, was running away from it's the not a per, It's hard to compete with uh, Kyle's comparisons, and uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is like Kanye going to shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like Fred Durst going to the fanatic. Like, not good. <laughs> yeah, his directing. Not movie. great. Yeah, yeah, not good. There yeah. you go. You got to come yeah. back to Limp Bizkit at some point. <laughs> Kyle's the king of the analogies yeah. here. Tonight. He's crushing them. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah that's, he's not usually crushing them. <laughs> Let's be fair. So he goes, he meets with the coaches. He has a tryout. They said he was really good, not great. He wanted to be a wide receiver, so like he ran good routes, but it wasn't enough to be able to get wide open. Like, but back, you should be able to. But back then in the seventies, 
there was already bums playing. Like yeah, it's like, like janitors. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like construction workers like getting off of the job and going to play NFL. Like anyone could play. So after that, he's like, all right, I guess I'll get back in the booth. So he goes back and comes out of retirement very quickly. Mm-hmm. He goes back in. He's still going through like a horrible depression, and he helps the four tops. Ronaldo Benson finish a song by the name of What's Going On. Wait a second. So Ronaldo Benson approached him with the song saying, Hey, I don't I don't know how to finish this. You know, I'm I'm working on it. I don't you know, it's I have the hook and what do you think? And then yeah. he's like, I'll I'll take over your song. Yeah. <laughs> and put, make it as my own business. But I don't remember any Ronaldo yeah. Benson being on that album or song. <laughs> I don't think any DJ says, uh, the new Ronaldo Benson song we got here. Marvin Gaye's classic album, Ronaldo Benson Presents. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> But this is another hill that Barry Gordy wanted to die on, saying it's not a good song. It's never going to be anything. It's what too is, serious. What is yeah. wrong with Barry Gordy giving well, Marvin Gaye trouble every corner? He's stuck in the fucking 50s. Yeah. And, and he's also the father-in-law. This makes a little bit more sense that he's like, ah, like a little edge to him where he's that must, doesn't fully respect that's a him. That's weird maybe. dynamic to be working, you know. He's not like some bum, and it's not like a landscaping company where you're working for your father-in-law. He's a brilliant musician, and he's working for a record company. Marvin Gaye could go to any other record company, mm. probably. Yeah, but exactly. But he like, kept it in the family. Yeah. And Grapevine was a huge smash. Yeah. At so that you, point, you just shut them. up and exactly. put it out. Yep. That's it. Well, some of these old guys like, you know. The that, control. They like the control, and that keeps them alive. You know, constantly. <laughs> what, what did you spit take for Alejandro? Uh, dying over here. What's going on? <laughs> What's the reaction to? I don't know. For some reason, Red Foo shot in my brain. <laughs> I still don't know who Red Foo is. You guys said that. I went along with it. Not trying to He's start He's the guy trouble. with the big afro. Party rock. Looking for your girl? She on my jock, huh? I don't know LMFAO. I don't know any of that stuff. Party rock is in the house tonight. It's not LFO, it's LMFAO. Yeah, it's okay. not Chinese food makes me sick. <laughs> yeah. It's red food makes me sick. <laughs> this whole conversation makes me sick. Yeah. All right, so back to what's going on. So what's, Wh- going, what's on? going on with what's going on? Nice. What's going on is recorded. <laughs> it's ready to go. People behind the scenes love it. Barry Gordy says it's not going to be shit. I do not want it out. I don't want my name attached to it. So a Motown executive had to sneak it to a Los Angeles radio station to play it. And they did. And Gordy was pissed when he found out until he saw the songs fucking absolutely just blowing up. It reached number one on the R&B singles chart. Of course, five straight weeks, number two on the pop singles chart for three weeks straight, became Motown's fastest selling single. It sold over 2.5 million copies. And when he sees that happen, Barry Gordy goes, all right, record a full album with songs just like that, and it has to be done in 30 days. Wow. 30 days? Yeah. What so a- it started with the song. Wasn't some of the inspiration that he wanted to be more political? 
Well, they wanted to, it was just more of a reaction like Bob Dylan and like, well, Sam Cooke had that. Uh, you! <laughs> you! Man, you! What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> that is hands down the worst Bob Dylan. The times, they are changing. <laughs> okay, it's getting somehow worse. I am, I am constipated. <laughs> no, because. Mr. He, government man. Here's what I heard, all right? Okay. That brother Frankie got sent off to Vietnam. And when he returned, Marvin Gaye's eyes were open to what's going on, no pun intended, in the world. It got real. Yeah, and so then, and he's also looking around like, there's poverty in the streets. There's racial unrest in the country. People are literally dying, which is one of the lyrics. Yeah. That was part of Barry Gordy's gripe with it, is that it's very serious, and it's very sociopolitical, just like he had the problem with Grapevine being a little too dark and real. That was really what it came down to. Well, I think we're we're starting to finally see the cracks in American society where like in the 50s everything was great, you know, this is the best country in the world yeah. and you know we're, we're, we're TV number dinners one. And- yeah. And then we kind of really kind of looked through a different lens and it's like, you know, there's mass poverty, everything's fucked up, we're in this horrible war where people are dying thousands yeah. by the day. Yeah. And the hippie idealism was crashing down yeah. by this point. Right. But like the early 70s, you mean? Yeah. This is a response to Altamont, that. Altamont, all that stuff happened. Yeah. And Kent State. Kent State. That was literally something he said to one of the executives from Motown. They'd call him, hey, how's the album going? And he's like, yeah, you know, whatever. It's coming along. But did you hear about what happened at Kent State the yeah, other day? That's not too far away from Detroit. So, And that also inspired Ohio, Neil Young's Ohio. Yep. So he records the rest of the songs for this album. What's going on was just its own single that he recorded. That was it. Barry Gordy was like, make a whole album full of that song. And it took nine days to record the now landmark album, What's Going On. Wait, nine? Well, okay, okay. Uh, He must have had these songs in a book somewhere. Possibly. That he just kind of pulled them out like, oh, I know. You know, like he was just waiting to get that green light. That's what would happen, though, with the times. If you had that much talent. Things happen fast. Like, that's what happened with Neil Young. He was sitting around with David Crosby. Kent State happened. Next day, he has the song Ohio. That's yeah. probably what's happening with Marvin Gaye right now. And he's probably so annoyed that his father-in-law is doubting him on so many turns that end up becoming the biggest songs in his catalog that he's just hate-fucking the studio to be yeah. like, fuck you, dad. Well, he's pro- <laughs> and he's probably looking at other artists and saying, I, you know, I want my own kind of rebel or revolutionary song. And... You know, he'd probably been writing these and stuff and composing them for a while. The entire album gets mastered in less than two months. It comes out in May of that year. So he recorded that in March, nine days, boom, done. In May, it's released, immediately becomes the number one R&B album. It has three consecutive hits that sell over three million copies. One of my favorite songs of his is on there. Mercy, Mercy Me. Yep. It is the biggest selling album of all time in Motown's history. Wow. So the one album that every song has to be like a song that Barry Gordy did not like becomes the biggest Motown hit of all time. <laughs> yeah. But also so I feel co- like the problem is you, Barry Gordy. Yeah, Barry. No, but imagine he creates his masterpiece. And then you're told, hey, can you do that again nine more times? That's yeah. not easy. That should be enough that you but made But the system they have song. at Motown, it just sucks. It's like, it's not conducive to like facilitating good artists. It's yeah. just like, you know, their notes must be terrible. Like a good studio would be like, do whatever you want again. And then we'll just put it out. <laughs> right. 
he wins the Billboard Award for Trendsetter of the Year for the album What's Going On. Somehow that minimizes it. Yeah, it, <laughs> like the MTV Movie Award. And then he won the Nickelodeon Good Job Award. Yeah, yeah. But then right after that, he wins the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Male Artist. So now we're back on track. And he goes to his hometown of Washington, D.C., where it's officially made Marvin Gaye Day in his neighborhood. Wow. That's got to be cool. That's got to be huge, yeah. Yeah. Especially when he was made fun of as a kid yeah. for that name. And some of those bullies still live in that town. They yeah. have to say, like, oh, today's uh, gay, Hap- gay Day. Happy Gay Day. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Gay Day. With an E. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what the mayor said. Yeah. It's with an E, everybody. <laughs> that year, he also uh, got on screen for the first time. He was in a movie called Trouble Man, and he did the single and actually the entire soundtrack to the film he did the composition as well Ah. for the actual film um he wanted to get more into like television and film it just never materialized for whatever reason can we hear two seconds of what's going on of course we can yeah yeah hell yeah what's going on What's going on? You'll notice a more low-key, jazzy feel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like like, like a big composition, too. Like a lot of stuff Mm, in there. A lot of moving pieces. Yeah. Yeah. This is where it gets kind of weird for me. He comes out with his newest single in 1973. He dedicates it to his new love because his marriage fizzled out. They broke up. They got divorced. He now has to make alimony payments. But he's got this new love, right? He writes a song called Let's Get It On. Ooh. We've all heard of it. But his girlfriend is 17 years old. Her name oh, wait, is whoa, whoa, whoa. Janice Elizabeth Hunter. <laughs> I heard that they started dating when she was 14. Um, I wouldn't doubt that. What sounds better for him? Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna, the, you know, they're gonna print the the normal thing, mm-hmm. the thing that sounds better. Yeah, like Jerry Lee Lewis. He married his fourteen year old cousin. Yeah, <laughs> things really were different then. <laughs> Wait, but he was probably dating his cousin when she was twelve, though. That's the oh, problem. Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, he's got this public. 17-year-old girlfriend possibly started dating when she was 14. Who knows? He's got this But members of the Rolling Stones were doing that, too. Like Ron Ron Wood or whoever it was married like some 16-year-old girl or something. Right. Okay. And even in the 90s, Jerry Seinfeld was dating a high school student. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Shoshana. Shoshana. That was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it seems to have a What's man. the big deal? Yeah. She's in high school. We can relate to stuff. <laughs> What's the d- deal with driver's permits? I'm her with her homework. I'm on top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a vocab with her. Now, Jerry, I'm on top. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> Wait, what? Did you really date a high school student? <laughs> Larry, this is public knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went out on top. <laughs> <laughs> Who's top we talking about, Jerry? Come on. <laughs> Marvin Gaye does not like touring. He hates touring. He loves recording music. He loves putting it out. He loves cashing the checks. He's like a checks. Brian Wilson kind he of. He hates going mm. on the road. During that time when like all these hits are coming out, he wasn't touring. 
It wasn't until so with let's get it on. He doesn't do a tour. For that's it. what made him come back oh, to touring. Okay. So, but you have to, especially at this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely have the to. The record companies are like, fuck that. Like Brian Wilson got a, a body double basically to tour for. Him. Yeah, the biggest thing <laughs> he did. They don't say it explicitly, you know, in my research, but I think this is pure conjecture on my part that the alimony payments were starting to back up for him, and he's like, fuck, I got to start touring again. How does he spend all the money from 10 million, 13 million, all these fucking records? He might have had a bad deal. It and sounds like Barry Gordy could have been fucking him. Yeah. Also, no. Marvin Gaye was bad with money. That's what all his friends and family said. He viewed money like we would view lunch, like Chipotle. Yeah. Like, okay, you eat it, you know, you throw the wrapper away. You take well, a ma- shit. Maybe you, you take s- a shit. <laughs> maybe you, and you, you flush it. You save half of it and you put it in the fridge for later? No. He and wouldn't do no, that part. You throw did, it out. You buy another one later. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's like Marvin Gaye, except he's spending two million bucks or something. You know, yeah, like, yeah, he, yeah. he just didn't care about money. He just threw money he away. Bad investments. He would buy things he didn't even use, like a boat, <laughs> you know, and never go on it. Oh yeah. my so God. he was just a bad money guy. Man. Yeah. He's 35 years old at this time. He and his 18-year-old girlfriend, Janice. She keeps getting a little older. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, now that she's 18, they can celebrate the birth of their child. Nana Gay. She was born in Washington, D.C. That's when Marvin buys a condo in L.A. in the Hidden Hills neighborhood. Oh. Wait, Hidden Hills? Hidden Hills. Not like the Hollywood Hills. The no, Hidden, hid- hidden that's Hills. That's way the fuck the, up there. And yeah. these are hills you can't see. Yeah. yeah. But this is The like, hills don't have eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't see your underage yeah. uh, wife. <laughs> <laughs> the hills are wearing sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> but that's way out there, though. Like, especially at this time, it's like desert. Air, like, now it's suburban area. Like, whatever. It's been built up. But at that time, like, what? You can live like a king yeah. and do a bunch of drugs and not have a lot of people seeing you. I, I wonder that. I, I wonder that's why Richard Pryor lived up there, too. Clearly. Johnny Cash did the same thing, too. Yeah. Did he? he? Yeah, he went way up north because he said his daughter had allergies and she couldn't take the <laughs> yeah. smog. Yeah. He wants sure. to, like, he's like Elvis. He's shooting out the TV. Yeah. and yeah. Like, you know, He wants to burn down a house once yeah. in a while. They all had allergies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's aller- allergic to not having cocaine in his nostril. <laughs> and oops, Marvin and Janice's second child comes out, and they're just rabbits. Wow. Going at it. Like Nick Cannon. Well, no, because <laughs> they stopped, though. For a second. I, doesn't he only have two kids? He's got three because they adopted uh, Marvin Gaye third. Okay. Yeah. Well, that didn't have to do with them having sex then. No. No, so. but they had two. But to compare him to Nick Cannon, come no, no, on. Yeah, Frankie little, Gay little and Nona Gay were both born. Named after brother Frankie. Hello. There we go. Connections are being made here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he, <laughs> he gets out of Dodge. He just goes to Europe and does a full tour. He's like, fuck it. I'm out of here. That's um, smart. It's yeah. a way to do it. He opens up his tour in London, England at the London Palladium, and he records that as well. That becomes a number one, uh, his most successful live album. It went to number one and number three on the R&B and pop charts, sold two million plus copies. Which shocked me that it contains what is arguably his biggest song. It's from that live album. Like, it wasn't even on one of his normal albums. Oh, yeah. Fucking Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every coming of age, but, 70s, but drug they also, scene. We could get this out of the way right now. 
They got sued because, uh, oh no, Robin Thicke got sued because they stole this riff yes. for Blurred Lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll get into why I believe that happens. Basically, any biopic, they have to rely on Marvin Gaye to tell their story. Yeah. You know, if people need to like show that they're strong, there ain't no mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's the part where the person goes to Vietnam. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's 1976, baby, and yeah. they're in New York exploring <laughs> Studio 54. Yeah. Got to give it up. It's true, though. Yeah. And then if it's like a comedy with Eddie Murphy where he's going to have sex with himself, like in Norbit. <laughs> And it's supposed to be a kind of grotesque, hilarious, sexy. People listening right now are like, I did not see this coming. <laughs> what, what song do they always throw on? Let's get it on. Yeah, they do. I remember from High Fidelity with uh, John Cusack. Jack Black performs it in that yeah, movie. Yeah, yes. at the end of the movie as uh, Kathleen Turner Overdrive was the name of his band. Oh, <laughs> not Catherine Turner. Okay, Kyle, yeah. what, what do we got next here? We got Marvin Gaye. <laughs> he files for bankruptcy. Because he did find it difficult to maintain payments after his divorce for his alimony. Man, he must have been a mess with money. Uh, he this felt... is before Microsoft Excel or like you know QuickBooks. And yeah, you could do it on your own. <laughs> he was so behind on his payments. He owed uh, six hundred thousand dollars to his ex-wife, and so he's just like, "Fuck it, I gotta go for bankruptcy." I got something on this if you want to hear. Uh, absolutely. Part of the settlement was that Anna Gordy was supposed to get a portion of sales from his next album. Yeah. And so there's an urban legend that he deliberately made a shitty album so that she couldn't get any money. <laughs> that's hilarious. So that, that she wouldn't be paid. That's so funny because that's also what Neil Young did in the 80s. He made just a, a couple of shitty albums. Yeah, to like get that, out of a Columbia deal or something that he hated. Yeah, he made trans. It's called Trans. Yeah, he made like where a, it was like really rockabilly. He made like a rockabilly. Well, he album. did the rockabilly album. Yeah, everybody's rocking. Yeah, and then Trans, <laughs> which is like if Tron the movie were a song. Yeah, that's what the album. He's like trying like. to. He's trying to do Radiohead Ooh. before Radiohead or something. Yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> and that's but, not good for him. Some of it I enjoy, but yeah, but he was like fucking with the radio. I mean the record. Companies and so this album that Marvin Gaye made, it's called Here My Dear. And the cover, it's a depiction of him with like the scales of justice, literally saying to his ex-wife, here, my dear, fuck you. But it was that album is actually like a not personification, but it's like, like a, a character. It's a something? documentation of their breakup, pretty much, of their yeah. relationship. Yeah. This sounds like an Alec Baldwin, like men's rights activist type thing. Phil Collins <laughs> did the same thing where he made an entire album based off his breakup with his ex wife. She was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> or for the young people, you know, Kanye's Heartbreaks and Nate Awaits, yeah. whatever it's called. <laughs> but this one, uh, I think that's been debunked, though. The Here, My Dear Urban Legend. The divorce proceedings dragged out over two years, and the settlement specified that if the album failed to earn at least $293,000 within two years, then Marvin would have to pay the difference. So uh, he would have no motivation to make it bad. Yeah. You know, so anyway. Well, the problem is Barry Gordy is there too, and he has all his own bean counters, and they know where, how record industry people like hide money and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he like, you're fucked right there because, you know, if you got this guy, Barry Gordy, knows exactly how the music business is in and out, and he's going to get every dime for his daughter. Yeah. So to answer the question that you asked before, he was still under Motown because he recorded 
an early draft of In Our Lifetime, and he sent it to the Motown executives. And then without Marvin's consent, Motown released the album without him knowing. Oh, my. So it's pretty much like a fuck you. Because they're allowed to. Yeah. Like, this is ours. We're going to make money off it. Fuck you. So, like, they're all out, like, fuck you, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And at this time, he's, like, drinking a lot. He's doing tons of cocaine. Um, He's having people in and out of his house all the time. Was he always drinking and doing drugs or I, I think, is it now where he's exploring but you're you're not allowed not to at I mean, this time yeah in the 70s you're like you have to be fucked up i think coke was like a recreational thing for him for a long time just like you know you got a little money in your pocket yeah you're helped, having a good time I'm people sure have it even in the early days it helps you it gives you extra pep in your drums when you're like you know yeah. <laughs> when you're playing in the fucking band when you hear postman it sounds like you're on coke yeah yeah <laughs> After that, he leaves Motown Records. He was with them for 21 whole years, and now he's 42 years old, so half of his life has been spent with this record company. Yeah. He signs to Columbia Records, and he begins his first song on Columbia Records, Sexual Healing. Wow. He's really leaning into the section. Yeah. It's his 40th top 40 hit. That's incredible. It is. 40 top 40 hits in 21 years. But it just sucks now that, like, this is now when he's getting p- paid what he should mm-hmm. be. And it's ju- he's just getting that now. Yeah. And he was following the lead of a lot of legendary performers at that time. Yeah. Like James Brown had, Living in America, Tina Turner, you know, yeah, yeah. Private Dancer, and What's Love Got to Do yeah. With It. Because, yeah. like, there was a, a vacuum. They needed more... You know, people are like, let's go back to the people that were there in the 60s. Yeah, like... They do that every couple of decades. Adapting to the times the right way. Yeah. Sexual healing, that's timeless. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as he records it, it begins a 10-week run at number one on the Billboard Hot Soul Singles chart. It becomes the longest-running number one R&B single of the 1980s. Wow. Insane. Yeah. A little more synth in there than you'd hear in the 60s. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And this is post-Thriller, you know? Yeah. Well, Michael Jackson changed the game with Thriller. He did. Yeah. Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones. Yeah, he was the Barry Gordy of his time. He was the Barry Gordy of Thriller. Yeah, he That's was. That's right. So at this time, that album, Midnight Love, goes on to peak at number one and sold over six million copies. He's killing it. Yeah. And this so point, is his dad. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> that's where we're Let's going. Let's not get ahead of Kyle here. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Let's kind of run the show here. Well, right after that, he does a legendary performance at the NBA All-Star Game, singing his own soulful rendition of the national anthem in Los Angeles, where he lives, mm. and does a lot of cocaine. Um, <laughs> but I didn't realize how close... I mean, that's like, it's a legendary thing. Everybody's seen it. Marvin Gaye doing the halftime show mm-hmm. or at the, uh, the national anthem at the beginning yeah. of the game, at the all-star game. And it was like right before he died. Wow. Like yeah. hours? No, 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 no. Okay. Not hours. <laughs> he but... got shot during it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the last Boy Scout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surf's up, pal. Yeah. He was having his reconnaissance at this point. (laughs) It's like months before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this time, he's 43 years old. He wins his first two Grammy Awards for sexual healing. He got Best R&B Male Vocal Performance and Best R&B Instrumental. 
So he had 11 Grammy nominations previous to this and then finally gets his first two. Is he still with that girl? Not for long. I think they break up during this time because he goes on a five-month grueling tour and starts to lose his mind. Like, Is he start like still partying like a maniac? Like, worse than ever before. Like people are coming and going. Yeah. He's got like a flop house where it's just like party central. He's getting a little too long on the tooth for this type of behavior. His biographer that was writing a book about him had to leave the tour because he was so freaked out about how fucked up he was. Really? Yeah. And he wasn't able to hide it from the crowds or anything. Um, he was like... <sighs> Doing so much coke, That's he was awful. he was sweating so much that he would strip like naked on stage. Okay, and people would have to be like, "Dude, like, <laughs> yeah. get it together." This is not a burlesque show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like at first, that's something that would happen. That girls would be like, "Woo!" Yeah, but then after a while, you realize he's in like a daze. <laughs> like within seconds, he's naked. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So he went on a five month tour. He's losing his mind. He's doing so much coke. He's becoming paranoid, and he thinks the Hollywood star whackers are after him. What? Oh my yeah. God. They keep coming in and out of this uh, thread that we have here. And this yeah. is before Randy Quaid right. was involved. Way before, yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody wants him dead, but he's not entirely sure who. That's Cocaine paranoia is crazy. Yeah. Because it really makes you think like these things are coming for you. So his life is basically the last act of Goodfellas at this point. Yeah. <laughs> There's a helicopter constantly after him. <laughs> <laughs> Except in his case, it wasn't actually after yeah. him. Yeah. He's constantly trying to make this like Italian dinner for his entire family. <laughs> <laughs> you got to boil the peppers, okay? Because his brother, Frankie, would be like, who's coming to kill you? And he'd be like, they are. Like, But he couldn't say like a specific Same thing person. with Brian Wilson, too. I brought him up earlier, but he thought... like. Phil Spector was trying to kill him, and well, that's oh, valid. That's yeah. pretty valid. Phil Spector killed somebody. That's true. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I hate to validate the uh, paranoia of Brian Wilson, but yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> but you did. But I did. Yeah. So he actually gets so paranoid that he brings his brother on tour. I don't know if he actually told his brother or not, but in his mind. He wanted his brother on tour with him because he looked so similar to him that he thought, hopefully, they'll kill him instead of me. <laughs> what a fucking what nice a guy. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Imagine who he confessed that to. Like, <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. He's like, like isn't that a great idea? Yeah. I bet he was so guy. out of it that he told his brother. Yeah. And his brother Sometimes knows. you get so cooked up and you're emboldened like, hey- how about this thing that is an awful thing for me exactly. to tell you? Yeah. Because yeah, like, hey, also, the brother hears that and is like, I know no one's after you, so I'm fine. Okay, great. Exactly, great. Yeah, yeah, I'll be your stand-in. I'm, stand not, in. Yeah, I'm okay. not suffering from the same level of paranoia that you are. Not so, even yeah, close. As long as I'm, the check's clear. When he's done with the tour, it's you know holiday time. It's December. He's stock-loading guns for himself. He's like, <laughs> he's like someone's going to fucking kill me. Yeah. He's going to Kmart. <laughs> I didn't expect that one bit. Kyle's like, it's holiday times around Christmas. He's getting guns. He's stockpiling <laughs> weapons. Some people are buying Atari games. He's getting pistols. Yeah, he's getting ColecoVision and <laughs> <laughs> rifles. Some people are getting Noel. He's getting uh, <laughs> some guns. He's buying Duck Hunt. The actual sun sun hunt, <laughs> because during this time for Christmas, he actually got his dad a thirty eight special. 
the gun, not well, the Well, that won't come back to bite him, at least. <laughs> no, it definitely not. won't. Yeah, why would it? There's no foreshadowing hey, Dad, there. Hey, Dad, here's this loaded gun for you. I didn't even wrap it. But in his head, he's like, me and my dad are starting to get along because at this point, he went back home. His mom got sick. And they knew, like, she probably didn't have much time to live. So he's left Los Angeles. He's left. No, he's in Los Angeles. So he brought the dad to the Hidden Hills. No, he moved in with his parents. But he bought their house, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. He bought everybody a house. They're nearby. And his brother lives either next door or down the street. They live in the guest house in the back. Oh, they do. Yeah. Okay. So the they have house. like a whole like uh, you compound. Know, compound here. Yeah. And he's buying everyone guns, right? He's uh, buying the brother guns yes. and the whole yeah. family. Yeah. To buy the dad a gun like that? That's like Michael Myers is your secret Santa and you got him <laughs> a kitchen knife, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's but, like you go to the store to the worst possible outcome store, which is an eight ball of Coke, 10 guns, yeah. and a bunch of bullets, and family members that hate each other. Yeah. Like, that is the worst fucking storm of <laughs> And shit. a cross-dressing dad that resents your existence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he wants to get along with his dad. So, like, when he moved back in to take care of his mom, he's like, you know, I'll get along with my dad. Like, we don't have much time on this earth. But at the same time, he's also telling people the Star Whackers are after him, and he also wants to commit suicide. What? So he's like all over the place. He can't hide it from his crowd. He was getting naked on stage and being crazy. His biographer left the tour because he just couldn't keep it together. Uh, as soon as he gets home, he wants everything to be good with his parents. But it sounds like everyone that hangs out with him said that he was very upfront about saying he wanted to die and die soon. Oh, my God. Yeah. That brings us to April 1st, 1984. And this is not an April Fool's joke. No, this is not April Fool's at all. He's in complete borderline psychosis mode, and he's isolating in his room. That's it. Watching TV. At his parents' house. At his parents' house. And he hears his dad screaming at his mom. And so he goes out, and he's like, hey, quit yelling at her. Like, she's sick shut up whatever it is like we'll figure it out and his dad really wanted to find an insurance policy that he thought she threw out so it's just a paper you could call and get mailed to the house again like not that big of a deal so he's looking for a fight yeah he's flipping out screaming and pushing her around so he goes downstairs he's like mom come into my room hang out that's it and so she goes up with him she's like sitting on the bed with him and then the dad comes in Kicks down the door, screaming again, and he's like, shut the fuck up, or I'm going to kick your ass. Oh, my God. And so his old man was like, all right, come kick my ass. And so he kicks his fucking ass. <laughs> he beats up his dad? Beats the shit out of his dad. Oh, my God. Yeah, kicking him in the ribs, his mom screaming like, please, stop. <laughs> so this is all the aggression of all the years his of His whole everything. life yeah. came to this moment. To this and moment. he was being physical. The dad was being physical with his mom. Yeah. So it was sort of warranted. Right. And this also follows a whole day of like people coming in and out of the house. Doing coke. Yeah, and like drugs so the and... dad is seeing all this shit going on. Druggies and junkies coming in and, and out. Like, yeah, he was he's pissed. like well he's it's a delicate situation because he's like my son, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're a piece of shit, but you also bought this entire fucking spread for all of our family Except to live. That's the conundrum. He hates yeah. his son. Always has. Yeah. 
There's some bottom the fucking house. He just resents them and fucking can't. They stand resent him. each other. So yeah. you know he just shouldn't have been a father. That's no. pretty clear. And yeah. Marvin Gaye is no angel here, but he was given a really shitty dad since birth, and he did yeah. well with with what he was given. Yeah. You know he fucking. He sold like millions and millions How of records. How many times do you hear this story with these insanely successful people? It's their, Johnny they, Carson, his parents never gave him a compliment. Really? You hear this all the time. It's so it's crazy. It's jealousy. Yeah. yeah. That's all it is. Absolute jealousy. So he was done kicking his dad's ass. His dad got up and <laughs> went to his room. Dad, I'm so, done kicking her. He officially, he formally said, I'm you're done excused. Kicking, you're excused. He's protecting his mom. Yeah. Then the door opens, he stands up, is about to hit him again, but his dad shot him right in the chest. Oh, my God. And the bullet pierced his heart, his lung, his liver, spleen, everything. (laughs) This is like a magic bullet. It's It's like like the Kennedy bullet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like bouncing around his fucking rib cage. It's like hitting every organ. Yeah, Michael Winslow's like, (laughs) bing, bong, bing. (laughs) Yeah, he was there to do sound effects for for the bullet. The bullet goes like down the block and circles back. <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> knocks at the door. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's the bullet. The brother in the back, Frankie, was home at the time. Him and his wife were home. And they said it, the gunshot, they heard it and they like ducked. It was just like a natural instinct because it was so loud mm-hmm. that they were like, oh. Then there was nothing else after that. So they thought a car had backfired in the street. And then it wasn't until the mom screamed, obviously. It happened right in front of her. She was screaming, don't shoot me, don't shoot me. Ran past the husband, went all the way downstairs to the back uh, dwelling unit where they lived. And she's like, he killed him. He shot him in the chest. My baby's gone. Wow. And so Frankie went up to go see what was going on with Marvin. And he was obviously bleeding out on the ground. And he said, as he was holding him in his arms, he was whispering, Pretty much that he didn't want to live. He's like, I made dad do it for me. So, so a lot of people de- think it was... that it was like a suicide by angry oh. cross-dressing dad. <laughs> and that he beat the sh- <laughs> he beat the shit. Mark's laughing, sorry. Kyle had That's that why locked and loaded. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so him beating the shit out of the dad was like, all right, this is it. This is no He knew what back. was going to happen. When yeah. they were kids... Uh, Marvin Sr. said if any kid ever rose up on him that he would murder them. Oh, and wow. that's just the thing you don't do in that generation. You don't yeah. talk back to your parents. You also don't beat the shit out of them. Well, it but sounds like se- that guy had it coming. In well, some, of course he did. I'm some, talking about in their warped logic. Right. Some families are different, though, but the, the rule generally is you don't beat up the father. Yeah. If you're a bunch of sons, oh. I'm sure you know you get bigger and stronger and stuff, and you don't beat up the dad, but... I'm sure he crossed that line for a real reason. He cross-dressed that line. Hello. (laughs) So the dad was always a joke, you know, around the community. And now Marvin has to pay for everything. He bought the house. And him beating the shit out of him, that was the final nail in the coffin. That was like, the dad literally has no control over the family and no influence. And he's asking about this fucking nonsense you know, uh, insurance form that no one cares about. Yeah, he just he, over nothing. He, he's a he's non-entity to make it seem like you know he has some power and authority over people. The mom wants nothing to do with them anymore. She loves Marvin. Yeah. You know, they enjoyed being together. Yeah, it was a nice thing. 
And in the besides all the the junkies coming, the in, entire the house. extended family is there because of him, and they're all like, you know, wow, he's you know he's the breadwinner of this entire clan. Yeah, and I can't imagine, like you said, his brother and his wife ducked. Everyone's probably just primed for one of the guns to go off. Something to one happen, of the yeah. hundreds of guns that Marvin has bought. I yeah. would not feel comfortable. You, know? you think he bought that many guns because he was hoping. One of them might go off and kill him. Possibly. It's creating chaos. I believe the night before he had even gone to the brother's guest house and demanded they give him the gun. Yeah. And so then. The, oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. And then Frankie's wife said she took the bullets out and handed Marvin the gun. The gun. Yeah. And he was pissed off that there were no bullets in it. But but like we're not there to see exactly what was going on. What was going on? But like I'm sure it was more. Nice. It was more intentional. That Marvin Gaye wanted to die. And every, he did m- many different things yeah. on every level to make sure he did. There are a couple theories. I'm going to get into one, and I know Alejandro has one, too. But it, it, this is just, it's so crazy that he died the day before he turned 45. He was literally about to hit like a milestone age. Um, his dad, as soon as he shot him, went downstairs, sat on the front step, put the gun down, and waited for the police to show up. And when the cops were asking him about it, he was like, hey, he kicked my ass. I had to defend myself. So it was, you know, self-defense from the beginning. Uh, The police asked him that day, you shot your son in the chest? Like, do you love your son? And all he said was, let's just say I didn't dislike him. That's an exact quote from his dad. I didn't dislike him. That's a bold thing to say when you're living in his house and all that shit. Yeah. So his dad didn't say, no, I loved him. He's just like, I didn't dislike him. Actually, you did dislike him. Yeah. You hated him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His father then gets arrested, pleads no contest to voluntary manslaughter, and gets five years probation. So never spent a day in jail. Wow, because of his age? No, because they believed, the judge believed the self-defense thing. It was thing. literally self-defense. But yeah. manslaughter, yeah, you know, it's, it sounds way worse. We, manslaughter. <laughs> he had some health issues as well. Yeah. And I'm sure he showed up to the courthouse with the oxygen in and everything, in the neck brace, and, you know, make yeah. it look like... Like it. Harvey Weinstein with the walker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Over 100,000 friends, fans, family members paid their last respects to Marvin Gaye in Los Angeles. Wow, that's a lot. That's yeah. like one-fourth of Woodstock 99. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> if we're measuring everything by Woodstock 99 yeah. <laughs> audiences. Uh, the Washington Post said at the time of his death, he had accrued $9.2 million in debt. Four. Oh, I thought you were going to say in four. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh. Yeah, and like in gold the blooms or something. <laughs> $4.5 million, which was owed to the IRS in back what? taxes. Yeah. How is he that? Well, he's got this whole fucking family around him. He's like MC Hammer. MC <laughs> Hammer had like fucking 50 guys on yeah. payroll. Uh, Marvin Gaye is inducted posthumously to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three years after his death. Within a few years, he's given a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's honored with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1996. And Seal and Annie Lennox pay tribute to him singing What's Going On, which is a weird duo. That's a very weird duo. (laughs) He's like, couldn't you do better than that for my tribute? Marvin Gaye Sr. (laughs) Fucking Seal. Rolling in his grave in in, uh, the Hidden Hills up there. (laughs) Why don't you hide these two losers? That was like when Gus Van Sant dedicated even cowgirls get the blues to River Phoenix. Oh, yeah. The worst (laughs) movie ever. Yeah, pick your worst movie (laughs) to dedicate (laughs) things. 
<laughs> must have really disliked me. Marvin Gaye Sr. was confined to a nursing home in Culver City where he died of pneumonia on October 10th, 1998. Sayonara. I hope it was painful and long. <laughs> yeah, you scumbag. Why is he, yeah, why is he in Culver City? <laughs> okay, He's so... right near the Sony lot. Yeah. A weird... happy Madison? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a suicide? Yeah. He's doing a happy hour at the Culver Hotel. Adam says, like, hoo-hoo! <laughs> I'm not even going to come up with a theory. I'm going to read this, which is a quote from Marvin Gaye Jr. Okay. Um, and, you know, let everybody else decide before Alejandro goes into his theory of things. Oh, I can't wait. All right, so he was quoted as saying, there have been periods talking about his dad. There have been periods when his hair was very long and curled under, and when he seemed quite adamant in showing the world the girlish side of himself. That may have been to further embarrass me. I find the situation all the more difficult because, to tell you the truth, I have the same fascination with women's clothes. In my case, that has nothing to do with any attraction for men. But seeing myself as a woman is something that intrigues me. It's also something I fear. I indulge myself only at the most discreet and intimate moments. Afterward, I must bear the guilt and shame for weeks. After all, indulgence of the flesh is wicked, no matter what your kick. The hot stuff is lethal. I've never been able to stay away from the hot stuff. So this was... is that is that like a McDonald's Arby's commercial? Yes, <laughs> we got the meats. <laughs> Can we get the hot stuff? We got the meats. <laughs> is this Andy Dick's diary? What are you reading? Yeah. yeah. Wait, he supposedly wrote this. This is part of his biography. His manifesto that he told to his biographer. Yes. And the dad was he actually? You know, probably. I mean, what is going on? What's we don't going know, on? <laughs> we don't know gay, trans, like it's all, you know, you don't know. Let's get it's it a on. spectrum. Yeah. You know, at this point. Yeah. Weird, yeah. wild stuff. That is weird, Wacky, wild stuff. Weird, wild shit. Do you want to hear <laughs> my two blind items? Yeah, let's hear the blind items and uh, okay. let's get out of here. Yes. Real quickly. And they're not very pleasant, by the way. Yeah. But, you know, just reporting. What do we expect here? The first one is that Marvin Gaye would offer his young wife, Janice Hunter, the one that was, as Kyle put it, 17. Underage. Yeah. Uh, he would offer her to other celebrities so that he could watch them have sex. That's like an O.J. Simpson thing with Nicole, too. And apparently he offered her to Ryan O'Neal and Roy Scheider. What? what? Roy Scheider. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> the 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 star, the star of the Rainmaker, Roy Scheider. <laughs> We're gonna need a bigger snatch. <laughs> Whoa! We're gonna need a smaller snatch. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna need an ID. <laughs> and then we're gonna rip that motherfucker up <laughs> Cause it never happened Oh my yes. god So this, you know, don't go telling your friends That you heard this wild theory Yeah The second one is Alright, are you ready for this? Yeah Apparently Marvin Gaye might have been a serial killer Okay This is crazy And he was into killing prostitutes so in the 1950s, there were a string of serial killings in a large Midwestern city that were never solved. And at the time, police had no suspects and the victims were all like high school aged, you know, runaways. And they were cold cases. 
And then about a decade later, there were two other prostitutes that were killed in the same fashion. And this time, the police had a suspect. Everything led to Marvin Gaye. The problem is that he had powerful friends with a lot of money. Barry Gordy. And they could pay the cops off. And he was never actually questioned or charged with anything. So why would he do this? Here's the theory. I guess he was desperate for drugs, and so he would pay these prostitutes to go out and get him drugs. And then when they came back, he would beat them. And a few times he was so drugged up that they would end up dead. So then a couple of the women who survived these beatings heard rumors of the other girls that were killed, tried to turn Marvin Gaye in. But instead, they were arrested on other charges and faced long jail sentences. Wow. So that's the gist of this blind item. I'm Googling this right now. It's There's a lot of that's stuff going on. That's way more insane blind item than Roy Scheider fucking uh, his, <laughs> his, his, his uh, you know, teen bride. Yeah. <laughs> way crazier. It's just stuff that's out there. I can't verify. Yeah. We heard it through the grapevine. <laughs> That Everybody. is. We're going to need a younger bride. <laughs> <laughs> Says Woody Allen. I, 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 you know, this is going to be my, my daughter's going to be my wife soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this boat back to shore. Yeah. Final thoughts, you guys. Oh, man. What an artist. That blind item is the craziest thing to leave this on. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Shake Take it that. off. <laughs> shake her off. Yes. Pretend like you never heard it. And also, uh, you know, he did. The estate did get some money from the Robin Thick from the Robin Thick song, yeah. Miley Cyrus Miley VMA Cyrus. performance. Yeah. I believe daughter Nona spearheaded that. Yeah. Uh, well, I campaign. I see it. I hear it. I think they did uh, rip off some elements yeah. of that song. So. Yeah, it's been said that the estate of Marvin Gaye is extremely <laughs> litigious. Yeah. But so would you if you were supposed to have a billion-dollar empire and were left with almost nothing. And left in debt. Yeah, yeah I'd be suck. suing, too. They yeah. got fucked by the by Rockwell took all that money. Or, <laughs> or that LMFAO guy. They the, That family took all fucking Fuck. his master's. They took all his money. They took I mean, Marvin all Gaye. All copyrights. Imagine yeah. if Marvin Gaye wrote that song. I feel like somebody's watching me because yeah. he thought he was. He was doing cocaine. He was so paranoid. Yeah. Holy shit. Holy shit. Oh. Whoa. Hey. Hey. Uh. Ooh. <laughs> she got a small ass. <laughs> she's not of age. We're going to need a bigger ass. <laughs> <laughs> Death and Entertainment on YouTube, Instagram, Instagram, Dipod2021 on Twitter. And uh, email us any suggestions, hate mail, love mail. Um, You know know where to find us. And if you're listening to the audio version, then please rate us and write something. Give us five stars. Please. please. We love those. And uh, yeah, as always, guys, as we say every week, don't go dying on us. Bye. You have just heard a true Hollywood murder mystery. I have never seen anything like this before. The movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.